it. Welcome to Strata Stories. My name is Thomas Schreiber, and I'm the Director of Marketing here at Strata. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. On today's episode, Paul Singh, the CEO of Strata, talks with Jerry Durham, a PT and the CEO of the Client Experience Company. Jerry helps practices craft incredible patient experiences to help grow your revenue. This episode is jam-packed with a ton of awesome topics, including why sitting, yes, sitting, is the most valuable exercise any clinic owner can do to improve their business, the importance of recording every phone call your front desk takes, what tool to use, the question every clinic owner should ask their front desk staff after talking to a new patient, how to measure the success of your front desk person, the three questions every practice owner should ask themselves, the skills and qualities to look for when hiring a front desk person, and finally, what you must focus on in 2024 in order to take your clinic to the next level. If you'd like to learn more about Strata and see how our EMR and RCM works, head over to stratapt.com to book a demo. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. The most valuable thing I ever did in my business that every business owner should do is sit in their waiting room. If you think about it, it's more of a logistics thing than anything else. I could hear phone calls. I could hear conversations with patients entering. I could hear conversations with patients leaving. I could hear conversations with the providers coming to greet their patients. I could hear the conversations when providers came up to greet their new patients in the waiting area. I could hear the conversations, I think I said, when they were treating their patients. And I could hear the conversations when they were checking new people out. There was no interaction that couldn't be observed and witnessed in the actual wild, right? And so what I find is, and why I won't train people anymore who don't record phone calls, because you and I both know, right? So you hire me to take Thomas through the training and Thomas will be, oh, I get all this. Oh yeah, I did this on the last call. I'll go, cool, tell me about it. And he'll tell me. And then I go and listen to a call and I'm like, uh, Thomas, um, can we listen to this together and maybe break it down? Because that's what happens, right? So this whole, oh, I tell my team what to do thing, there's no accountability, right? So I call it Tom Peters. I read his book, had a great thing, this managing by walking around. I call it by managing by sitting in your waiting area. So, I mean, that's the bare minimal. Right. So now let's actually use Thomas as an example there. But before we go there, what do you typically use to record? So for example, at Strata, we record every call, but we kind of rolled our own solution and we record but I have a lot of portfolio companies that use tools like Gong and, and other tools like that. But what do you recommend? You know, what should, uh, if we want to record calls? Instead of trying to work around with current people, I just say, call your local provider, see if they'll allow you to record calls. That's a yes or no. If yes, cool, we're gone. And it's funny how many people don't realize they have that capacity. If it's a no, then I go straight to Ring Central. Ring Central, I'm going to say we're recording this good. I want everybody to hear this. Ring Central has horrible customer service. The good news is you rarely need their customer service. <laughs> so you rarely need their customer service. So I recommend Ring Central. And we all know when it comes to like hotel and internet, man, you just go with, right? Oh my God. So that's what I do. Yeah. All right, so Ring Central. So now let's just kind of get keep going on this tactical angle because this is this is pretty cool. So you're sitting in the waiting room. You're listening to everything. Let's throw Thomas under the bus. He's working your front desk. 
and you walk over to Thomas and you say, hey man, how'd that call go? And Thomas says, yeah, I did this, I did that or whatever. And then you go pull the recording and now there's a coaching moment for Thomas. What does that look like? I mean, obviously that's something you do every day, but let's pretend I'm a new guy. How do I coach Thomas? You know what I love is, so I will send my five-step process to anybody. And what I love, and I think you'll appreciate this, Paul, right? The training tool is the tracking tool, is the onboarding tool, is the accountability tool, right? So there's a five-step process for managing the first phone call. At the end of the first phone call, so actually, Paul, let me back up. If Thomas hung up the phone with a new client and I walked over, the first question I would ask Thomas is, why are they going to arrive? That's one of my favorite questions ever. So he just scheduled, right, a new patient and cool, right? Everybody's excited because we got someone scheduled. And I'm like, yeah, but the arrival rate's 30%. So 70% of the people don't even show up. Who cares, right? So I'm going to ask Thomas, why will they arrive? And if Thomas has gone through the five-step process and we've talked about it before, he understands what he needs to do to make sure that people understand how we are different right? And why they should invest their time, money, and energy with us. And that's walking them through, making sure we understand their problem. We understand their expectations. They understand they're going to get an expert to manage that problem. And they have an expert who's managed that problem before with other people who can meet their expectations. They understand the payment part, whatever that means. We're just going to say that right now. doesn't matter your payer model. And then they understand, yeah, they understand the paperwork and what the next steps are. And then they understand that when they arrive, this is what's going to happen. And boom, we're done. So let me double back. My question is going to be, Thomas, why should they arrive? Oh, they wanted 1030 on Thursday. Well, they could call 300 other clinics within five blocks and get it, get it 1030 on Thursday. Thomas, why are they going to arrive? Well, we take their insurance. Hey, Thomas, there's 350 other clinics in town who take their insurance, right? So no. So why are they going to arrive, Thomas? Um, Well, because I told them we help people low back pain. I'm like, Google help with low back pain within one mile of here. That's going to be like a million five hits. So I'm like, no, no, no. So again, I'm going to break down. Did we have a problem to be solved? Did we get their expectations around what they expect from our service? Did we sell an expert? Did we tell them what they'll get for their time, money, and energy with that expert? And then did we go through payment or insurance or however they're going to get that? And if he goes, yes, 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 I go high five, Thomas, nice work. That's like 10 years of work in me in a fucking two minute tirade right there. You sort of alluded to metrics. You said something like only 30% of them are going to show up anyway. So in your clinics, how do you measure the success of that front desk person? Yeah. How do you do that? What are the numbers? This is why else we need like a recording slash some kind of tracking tool because people will tend to. So to me, the success of this voice, so so Thomas is filling this role of the voice of the front desk. So he's the front end salesperson. So Thomas is responsible for tracking lead to scheduled because you got to get to scheduled, but we're not going to celebrate scheduled. So Thomas says, Jerry, I had a hundred leads this week. I scheduled 85 of them. And now mind you, this next one's a little trailing because not all everybody who scheduled scheduled for this week. And then, so I might do this monthly or every two weeks. Thomas says, I managed hundred leads, 85 of them scheduled and 75 arrived. That to me is the tell right there, right? That's the journey that Thomas has to own. And then we can stop everywhere in that journey. Why didn't that first group schedule? Okay, why out of these 10 who were scheduled, 
Why did they not schedule, right? And then, by the way, where the 75 who arrived came from. So we could go, as you all, you know, as you're aware, we could go down any rabbit hole we want here. But the voice of the company is responsible for lead to schedule and their ultimate, their KPI is arrived. Yeah, that's cool. And in your practices, do you look at that weekly with the front desk person, monthly? How do you normally do it? Weekly, weekly, because I think this is proactive, right? Everybody and you guys, like with your metrics and everything, right? We live in this world where everybody just lives reactively. They go at the end of the month and go, well, let's look at the month. And I'm like, holy shit, we're headed into the next month. So yeah, yeah. I used to love it. When I first set this up, man, I knew, right? So check this out. I got to do simple math here. So don't get caught up on what the actual number is. I'm just making math so I can figure it out. If I knew we were converting 50% of all of our leads to paid customers and that we needed 50 paid customers a month, I knew I needed 100 leads to get there. So if I look at the tracker at the end of the first week, right, that's a quarter, 25 is a quarter of 100. So at the end of the first week, I should have 25 leads through. And so I should have 25 leads and a quarter of 50, right? And then the next week, I should have 50% of the leads and 50% of the new guy. So I can be proactive. So at the end of the second week, I'm, I'm not going to get freaked out the first week. But at the end of the second week, if we're not on track, I know, okay, let's go find some clients quickly. Or, hey, we're ahead of the game. Cool. I, high five. Don't take your foot off the gas because this will carry over into next month. So I like it weekly because you can be proactive. Well, and the thing is, like what you're talking about might seem revolutionary in the healthcare world or whatever, but it's normal practice for any SDR, BDR in the tech world, right? Like here's the quota, here's the numbers. It's just a mathematical objective conversation we're having every week. And uh, that's it. You know, there's not a lot of feelings in it. <laughs> so, okay. So that's pretty cool, man. Like it's, you make it, it's simple, not easy. And that's the, maybe that's the important takeaway there is that what you're talking about here is simple, but not easy. It's, it's not easy because you got to stay on top of it. I think one of the other mistakes that I've noticed, and I'll say this as a statement, I'm curious how you respond. I think one of the other common mistakes that I see owners and founders make, not not just in healthcare, but actually in almost every business, is that they treat the employees or they they subtly expect the employees to have the same level of care as the owner or the founder. And then they get frustrated when nobody else displays that care. I did that to all my employees early on, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we've all done it. You know, you make that mistake where it's, no, no, you and I might lose sleep over something that we built, but nobody else really will. That's not something people sign up for. So you're already agreeing. So, all right. So that statement kind of holds true maybe then for the, for the healthcare world. You had some really interesting posts this week. One of the ones that you posted was uh, this longer post about the three questions that every practice owner should ask themselves. And in that post, you said, can you walk me through your patient's journey? Can you name all the touch points throughout the business? And then how do you connect your first phone call to selling your patient their first POC? Can you just talk about those three questions? Because like, I love where you're going with this. This is huge. So this is one of those days where I keep going, holy shit, I'm going to be able to share in like five minutes what it took me like eight years to figure out, by the way. So I just want, I love to put that context out there for everybody listening is it took me like eight, nine, 10 years to figure out the next thing I'm going to share with you. So I just, I, I want to put that out there. So when I was on this journey of figuring out how I was going to manage a out of network clinic, which forced me 
to challenge myself of if I had created a true business or not. And I hadn't. And so I was on this journey of getting coaches, mentors, feedback on how to run a fucking business. And mind you, I was already three practices deep, 20 employees paying out all this payroll responsible for all this shit. And I'm like, okay, let's learn how to run a business now. What I learned and all this came over time, it really did. And it didn't come in the order I'm even going to share it with. But what I learned over time is every successful business on the face of the earth does three things. They understand their ideal client and that ideal client's journey within their business. And by the way, there can be more than one because one of the I got this. One of the greatest impacts on this was Charles Schwab. When Charles Schwab first came to be and was all online, you know, they had like 39 different ways a new client could come into their business, right, for all their services. And they understood the journey of every one of those people. So understand your ideal client and the journey they're on, meaning what happens here? Where do they go next? 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 So if we understand that ideal client in their journey, then we understand the touch points in the business, right? Whether it's automation, whether it's something I can control, might be external, right? Maybe your parking lot. It may be stuff you can't control. Maybe the parking garage across the street. I have to know all this. Where are people going to park? All of it. So someone comes to the clinic. How can they get there? So I then understand those touch points. Then I can understand the connectedness of them, meaning what has to happen on the next step to set Thomas up to be successful, to complete the next step so he can get to the next one, the next one, the next one. And again, let me just go back to the easiest example. Thomas calls, right? What do I have to manage on that first phone call? What do I have to make sure he understands about the next steps in his journey? And you heard some of that. I have to make sure he understands he's going to see an expert when he arrives. I also have to talk about the paperwork. I also have to talk about finances and payment. I may have to talk about parking. This is why if I understand their journey, right, what do I do? I move all that nebulous stuff upstream. Let me tell you this. And by the way, Thomas, you're going to get an email and it's not going to be two pages long, right? It's just going to have the important stuff for the next steps. Great example of this is I had this great conversation with a front desk person this week and they got it. They got it. They looked at me and said, Jerry, why are we asking all this stuff on the intake? They can do this stuff when they arrive, right? And I'm like, thank you. They're creating so much friction on that first phone call when she understood that, look, my job is to find out their problem, get their expectations and move them forward. So why the fuck am I asking them their home address today, right? Of which the owner told them to get, right? Why did the owner ask that? Because it has to go in the EMR or something for billing. Well, who cares? By the way, if the patient doesn't show up, who cares about what's required for billing? Now, mind you, we're going to take the step. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. We're going to take the steps, but this is that connectedness. So what do I have to have Thomas do? I have to have Thomas understand he's going to see an expert who can help him solve his problem. Then I have to make sure he understands, here we go again, what's going to happen during that hour with this expert. Then I have to make sure he understands there's five pieces of paperwork that need to be completed. Then I have to make sure he understands that we run on time. Then I have to make sure he understands that the parking's five minutes away because if he's going to run on time and he gets here and parking's five, right? You, I mean, again, we can just keep doing this, but this is, this is patient success. This is building patient success. This is Thomas hanging up the phone and I go, why should they arrive? And Thomas is like, shit, bro, I went through your damn thing. They know right here. I, I know the problem. They want to get back to the gym pain-free. They want to get out of morning pain. They know Dr. Jane Doe is going to 
has helped people just like them. And she's committed to an hour with them next Thursday at 1030. Right. They know the paperwork's coming. Here's my favorite part. It's one of my favorite innovations ever in healthcare. Right. We can go invest in a fucking billion dollar tech or we can start telling people that the paperwork is important for them to get the proper care. Right. I'm like, that's one of the best innovations in healthcare. When I flip the script around why you need to complete the paperwork. So, yeah, there's the big dive into your ideal client, their journey, and then the connectedness of that journey. Yeah. I was just thinking, um, you said something a few minutes ago about, you said if you needed 50 leads, sorry, if you needed 50 patients in a week or a month or whatever, you needed a hundred leads. Is that kind of your benchmark? How do you think about the benchmarks? No, 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 no. I'm making numbers up, dude. Dude, I just, I got off the phone with a clinic. They're running over a thousand scheduled new patients a month. So think about the number of leads they're getting. And I won't even tell you because I don't want to start putting numbers out because I don't want anybody to get, but the arrival rate is less than desirable. It's not 30% by any stretch. I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, I don't care your business model. If you can't manage the front end and have an arrival rate, I, and by the way, I'm going to bunch it all in now, Paul, all of it, in network, yeah. out of network, fucking everything. If you can't run, I'm just 75 to 80%. And by the way, some should run higher. Some are going to run a little lower. But if you can't overall run 75 to 80 and probably closer to 80 then you're not doing it right. In terms of arrival rate? Correct. Arrival rate. Correct. Thank you. Not scheduled. Arrival. I used to schedule when I went out of network, man. This is why scheduled is such a, it's just a step. I was probably scheduling about 85% of the leads, but the ultimate, the arrival rate was about 65% at the time. You know, and this was 10 years ago. So notice, please note, I said anybody should be able to do higher than that. And when I was doing it, I was, no matter what we did, I can only get us to about 65. That became our benchmark. So, right, all the marketing had to deliver enough leads that 65% would get us the numbers, right, we needed. Out of curiosity, like, when you recruit people for these front desk roles, do you have any, like, stereotypes or, or, or things you look for? Like, in other words, let's say I'm hiring a front desk person and I go on, on Indeed or, I don't know, wherever people hire these days. Are there things that you look for in particular before you pick up the phone and say, hey, I want to do an interview with you? You strike me as someone with strong opinions on this, Jerry. Yeah, I'll tell you what I don't look for because, and I want to say this out loud because I want people to not mistake what a salesperson is. What I don't want is everybody tells me, oh yeah, I love customer experience experience. And I'm like, no, no, you don't. And you're wrong. And this came from my journey, right? When I was trying to build a business, I had an EO colleague, entrepreneurs organization colleague, who bought a collections agency and blew it up. I mean, just made money like crazy. She created a company that understood sales and customer service. And she realized they were in the customer service business, not sales. And she said to me, because when I first was moving my journey forward and learning more about this role that we're talking about today, I went to her one day and I don't remember what the question was, but I remember what the answer was. And she said, Jerry, you got to remember, you need salespeople, not customer service people. And those are two different types of people. And customer service are yes people. And salespeople are problem solver question people. And I was like, and she goes, and they're not, if you, one cannot do the other's job. And I was like, I'll never forget that day. And so what we're not looking for is customer service. So I was sitting 
Is everybody sitting down? I was sitting at a bar a couple of days ago. <laughs> this guy walks in and he is a sales guy, sits right next to me. And it's a cigar bar, my local cigar bar. And I always go early and it's always interesting guys. I always meet guys traveling through town, right? And so there was a sales guy came in and man, I had one of the best conversations. And then there was an attorney on the other side, but we didn't hold it against him. And we could say the attorney is the ultimate sales guy. But we were having this conversation about hiring people and who moves to the top of the pile. And even they started saying this word customer service. And we were talking about our bartender, Anthony, who's an awesome guy or a wait staff. And I'm like, you realize wait staff and bartenders aren't customer service people. They're fucking salespeople, man. And they get it. They understand the whole process. But to say, I want a good customer service person for my front desk to do the sales part is a complete mistake. I want, and I'm going to look on the resume first and foremost for sales experience. Show me something you did. You did inbound calls. You did outbound calls. You worked at a shoe store. You worked retail. You worked in a restaurant, right? I'll take bartender and waiter, waitress, because that is a sales job, not a customer service job. And so those are the things I look for. for and by the way, Paul, I tell everybody this every day. I don't care what they sold because if they can sell, I can train them to sell my product. That was a long, drawn-out answer. And Thomas, good luck cutting that up. But I think it's really important to make that mistake because it happened again this week, the kiss of death. Well, tell me about your current team. Oh, we have a great team. You know, I really love when our front desk person in this one office picks up the phone and, man, they just care. And I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. They care so much and they do such a great job. I'm like, what's their conversion rate? And they give me a number and I'm like, that's fucking shit. Caring isn't mm -hmm. the answer. Caring is like the least. I'm like, I, I said, we're going to check that, but I got like nine other boxes to check, right, of attributes. And so caring, they say they care like it's some fucking superpower. And I'm like, my God, we're not going to make any money with people doing sales and caring. Don't get me wrong. The best salespeople in the world, right, can listen and be empathetic, but caring, everybody wants to tell me how caring their team members are. I'm like, well, why are we on the phone then? Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where people think that caring is the differentiator, when in fact, caring is table stakes. And by the way, and not only that, but man, when you listen to the calls, the caring people just turn it into a, a me and you conversation, and then we're on this level, and then, and then I'm just talking, well, it's so good, they learn so much about people, I'm like, we need a fucking problem to be, oh, I want them to learn something on the first phone call. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. 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 Look, you've been living and breathing this for a decade or two now. Right. And so to you, this is like really simple, but I think the, the really important takeaway for people here ought to be that what you're talking about is standard industry practice in any other sales driven industry car sales, software sales, pharmaceutical sales, it's all the same. Because I imagine everybody, tell me if I'm wrong here, I imagine like the most skeptical of your prospective clients are like, well, Jerry, that's not going to work here. We do it different. We care, right? Like that's probably one of the most common objections you get. And you know, you're probably knowing your style. I imagine you're like, well, how far did caring get you? <laughs> you know, you wouldn't be here if it was yeah. I, I yeah. literally say, but we're on the phone. I say, cool, you have a caring team, but we're still on the phone. So can we agree there's more to it? And I used to be that. I used to be that we're different. Oh, we're different. Oh, that doesn't apply to us. I did that for a long time. 
Well, and I, and I think that anybody listening to this that is like still listening, I think the next level of skepticism is going to be, well, come on, Jerry, I don't want like a bunch of, you know, sleazy sales guys pounding the phones or whatever. And, but, but the reality is that's not what you're suggesting. Tell me if I'm wrong here. What you're suggesting is, is that caring is the table stakes and a basic understanding of sales funnels, sales processes and all that wrapped in between of all that caring is how you move somebody through the funnel. Because that's, that's kind of what you're talking about here. It's not about putting a bunch of sleazy people on the phone just selling snake oil, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny for everybody who tells you there's a sleazy salesperson, they'll tell you about their great bartender, their great waiter or waitress, their great wherever. And I'm like, they're selling you. So why do you only recognize a sleazy person? And by the way, that you've never given your money to, but you don't acknowledge the person that you've been handing cash, cash money to over for years and years and years. So the greatest salespeople on the face of the earth do two things. Thomas at my front desk, right? Thomas is one of the two greatest. Our Thomas is one of the greatest salespeople. And he does two things. <laughs> he finds out people's problems to be solved. And then he has a discussion with them if his product is the best fit for them. That's it. That's it. Every great salesperson. On, think about it, Paul. Think about it, Paul. There is nothing we could bring up next that didn't fit that description. And that is all my years of sales books, sales videos, sales training is those two things. So the best salespeople, and God forbid, yes, right, that I've come a long way in this, the best salespeople Oh, when I was told this, I about fucking fell out of my chair. The best salespeople do the least amount of talking on the call. They ask better questions and allow people to share. And I cannot stress enough that when this happens, Jerry will tell Thomas everything he needs to hear to make this sell. This is the hardest part to get people to understand, Paul, is that if your team will shut up, they can actually do a better fucking job. And the number one skill in all of sales is listening. I don't know if you know this. My uh, first job when I was in high school, well, one of my first two jobs, I was an intern at a bank. And then my other job was at uh, CarMax. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I still hold the sales record at CarMax. I'm a sleazy used car sales guy. I think the thing is that people don't understand that whenever I hear somebody call salespeople sleazy, I kind of chuckle because to me that signifies a bit of privilege maybe right? Because it's like, oh, okay, so you must have had that silver spoon. The rest of us had to actually like earn it. And it's not about being sleazy. It's about realizing that through the arc of your career, whether you know it or not, you're always selling something. You're selling yourself, you're selling your product, you're selling Aunt Kathy's great apple pie, whatever it is. By the way, honey, where do you want to go to dinner tonight? Here comes the sales, right? When you both disagree. Here we go in sales mode. By the way, have kids. You tell me how much you have to sell. How much you're negotiating all day long, Paul? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. The the negotiations that I have to do with a four-year-old are not my proudest moments. I have definitely caved on those. <laughs> yeah, and I, I bet they freaking can own you, man. And right, and they're just doing right. They're, they keep asking you better questions, dude. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Yeah. We, yeah, we were just talking about, you know, you know, I've got four and we were just talking my daughter put a spreadsheet together of what all the kids want. She made a Google slide presentation of what all the kids want. And I got to the four-year-old slide and I was like, what is this thing? This is like a $180 motorized Lego Optimus Prime thing that's two feet tall with 1,800 pieces for a four-year-old. And 
I'm like, there's no way you're getting this. Well, he's got grandma wrapped around his finger. Sales guy of the year right here, man. I'm like, okay, you want to come work at Strata or something? I don't know. Like, he, We're still potty training, I guess. But uh, <laughs> the key here is to understand that there's a process. And, and you, you know, it's funny. If someone says, you know, sleazy salespeople, I don't like sales. I'm like, cool. You're not going to have to do that. You're going to have to learn how to follow this process and listen. So it's ask better yeah. questions, listen, and follow this process. Everybody asked me for a script. And I'm like, I started asking people just like the um, caring thing. I said, when's the last time you called someone who was using a script that you were happy with? Please, if you tell me, I'll give you a script. I said, I can tell you all the pissed off. I've been the most pissed off of people using a script. So I said, why are you asking for a script? You need to ask for a template, an outline, a process that needs to be followed that is led by better questions and then listening. And this is the hardest yeah. fucking thing for all the people. And I say fucking thing because this is me now. It's like, oh my God, I got to listen, right? No, I got to tell you. I got to tell you. No, no, no. Strata does, strata does A yeah. through M. And the person's going, yeah, but that's not why I'm calling, right? After you spend 20 minutes talking about A through M and you go, so what questions do you ask? And they ask you a completely different question. And you're like, oh my God, I just wasted 20 minutes, everybody. So if at the beginning I would have said, uh, so Paul, why'd you contact us today? You're going to fucking tell me what question to ask next. That, that's all I do with this. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's not like groundbreaking or anything like that, but it's really like, so first off, I think a lot of people, again, not just in healthcare, but just in almost every industry I've ever seen, uh, I see where things go wrong is when owners start to get romantic about how they make their money. You know, maybe they watch Shark Tank. You know, maybe they watch Shark Tank. Maybe they watch Succession. Maybe they saw Ballers on HBO and they got these like ideas that, and the truth is though, is that it's really not rocket science here. And and if they come full circle, you know, ready to to come down this path. Unfortunately, it's when the shit hits the fan. Maybe payroll's not going to get hit or, you know, things have gotten so bad. So anyway, it's just it's just interesting because we um you just see all the same mistakes in all the industries. And it's just it's hard not to just notice that every business really is the same. Like like that's one of the hills that I'll die on, honestly, is that I think that 80% of every business is the same. Doesn't matter whether you're a publicly traded software company or you're a one location PT practice in Sheboygan or something. It's 80% of the business is the same. I'd say foundationally, they are all the same, right? It's like as you build up, right? Then it becomes a wee bit different, but we're all built off the same foundations, which is, so if I understand there's sales processes and marketing processes and retention things that need to be focused on, then I can start to build on that foundation for my practice or business. That's where I start to, it becomes different, but everybody wants to tell you it's different and they want to kick out the foundation. I'm like, there goes your house, bro. The other thing that I, I was thinking about as you were talking about this is that, you know, we were talking about sleazy sales guys and all this stuff, right? But at the end of the day, let's just shift gears for a second and use another analogy that's outside of this industry. Nine out of 10 people would agree with me on the statement that Chick-fil-A is a different experience than McDonald's. Nine out of 10 people would, would agree with me on that statement, right? And the real question we're really talking about here fundamentally is, is how do you make your practice feel more like the Chick-fil-A and less like the McDonald's, right? Like the McDonald's is like, hey, here's a kiosk. Don't talk to a human. It's all machines now, at least in Virginia where I'm at. It's really hard to actually go to the counter anymore. Chick-fil-A, totally different experience. And like it or not, they're there to sell you something, right? So, you know, it's 40 degrees here in Virginia right now. 
they put heaters in the drive-through so that their staff can stand out there in comfort and they're there to care, but really they're there to sell. Oh, did you want the meal with that? You know, did you want this? Did you want that? Oh, how about a kid? I see the kids in the back. You want some kids? You know, like, holy cow, you guys are, they're 18 year olds. They're selling better than anybody else I've ever seen. And they said, <laughs> so anyway, that's really the big question, I think, for practices. I think at some point, I, I know we probably don't want to name names on the, on the show just yet, but like, it would be cool at some point to kind of like maybe do some case studies on like, who is the, ch- what practices out there today are closer to the Chick-fil-A experience than the McDonald's experience? It's easy to point out the McDonald's and everybody knows who they are. And it's because it's, I mean, let's face it. I was discussing, um, because I don't know Chick-fil-A, but I know In-N-Out Burger. So I was, was talking about McDonald's and then Burger, right? And so, it, but it's the same. It's the same. I don't care. Uh, same comparison. I remember going into McDonald's and it was just like any other burger place you went into, even though the experience, but now like you're saying the kiosk, because I was using this example of, I said, what is In-N-Out Burger selling when they have windows surrounding? So when you do the drive up, next time you drive through one, when you drive up, you can see into the kitchen. You can see every step of the process. Think about that. Also, when you're waiting for your food. And I'm like, that is purposeful as all fuck. They got the uh, French fry thing. They want you to see the, I swear to God, they probably throw out tons of uncooked potatoes because there's some clock going off or someone has to walk over and pull the French fry machine just so everybody there can see they make French fries from potatoes, right? Look, it's not rocket science. From a construction standpoint, everybody knows that it's cheaper to put a brick wall up, but these guys are intentionally putting a glass window in there. That's not cheap, which means it's by design. And then McDonald's to this day, last time I stepped inside one, which was in um, closer to where I am in Philly now. So not only was there a kiosk, but it looked like a solid wall behind the registers, man. And the food was just dropping out. And I'm like, I questioned the quality of the food before. I'm like, now what's going on back there, right? And so again, it's the experience. What do you want? What do you want? Right. You know, the other cool thing I like about in and out you can see there's no fucking freezer back there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we all know the McDonald's. And I said this to you early on, Paul, and I'm going to say this again. The McDonald's of our industry have created billing companies. And so they are very impersonal. They all want to share. Yeah, I can go about down about 30 rabbit holes here. They have become billing companies who happen to serve patients. The Chick-fil-A's are focused on what's best for the patient. I will go toe to toe with any founder, owner, CEO who wants to tell me at that level that they didn't create a billing company. And I'm like, let's do all this stuff. Let's check all the things. Let's check all the boxes. It's interesting too, because, you know, not to get nerdy on you, but Walt Disney, and I know people have mixed feelings on Disney. We're, we're a Disney family, so whatever. We share the same birthday. Just for, you know, me and Walt share the same birthday, so I can leave it there. That's I knew you were a genius. Now it's proven. I knew it. But there's this like legendary thing that I'm pretty sure that Walt Disney said once. One of his employees at some point said, we make money to make more movies. And he said, no, we make great movies and we happen to make great money doing it. And it's a very subtle difference in words, but culturally it's two very different outcomes. Or, or yeah, you get two very different outcomes there. One of the other posts that you did this week that I think kind of lines up with this conversation we're talking about is... This time of year, as you know, 
the end of every year, the beginning of every year, everybody says the same thing. They say, oh my gosh, the reimbursement rates are dropping again. And what should I do about it? Well, they say, oh, here's a tool to write a letter to your congressman or your senator or your congresswoman, whatever it is. And it's like, people have been writing letters to their congresswoman or congressman for 20 years and it's not getting any better. And we're still, the best advice we're giving is telling people to keep writing those letters. But you wrote a post this week about your view on this. So I don't want to give it away and we'll link to it in the show notes, but talk about your view on this. So reimbursement rates are falling every year. Give me the Jerry take on that. What do we do to fight it? Well, it's pretty much what you're saying. So I've written letters directly to APTA leadership. I've outlined this process. So I want people who are listening here, who are reading the stuff to understand that I bitch like crazy. And if you want to talk about all the solutions I have presented and try to do from the inside, I will take up as much time as you have. I've submitted solutions to PPS on these things. I've submitted solutions to APTA. And until they switch and until they actually do it in mass, no one can tell me I'm wrong because no one's done it this way. Yet every other fucking profession on the face of the earth, sorry, industry on the face of the earth has, right? I don't know what other industry depends on or pretends like they depend on, right? Outside external things as much as physical therapy. Physical therapy, I posted this the other day. We love our villains, man. And we love someone else to blame, which saves us from having to take ownership. So this whole idea is we got to, if we just take ownership, the ultimate buyer of healthcare is that person sitting across from you. It always baffles me, Paul, when we ask the person to send a letter to their congressperson. I'm like, why don't we just get the person across from us pissed off about this whole fucking process? Why don't we tell them it's actually you're the one it's costing you more. We make it sound like it's costing us more money. I'm like, no, it's not. I can go look for other revenue streams. It's costing you sitting across from me more money. So my solution is let's quit focusing on the external, right? The Congress, the Kairos, the insurance company. My God, people, if you really believe I got a huge ego, I don't for one second, one part of me believes I'm going to do anything to impact and change the insurance. <laughs> you have a huge ego? I had no idea, Jerry. I mean, whew. How's this for timing? My wife just walked in and got to hear me say that, and you're responsible. <laughs> you ought to see the look on her face right now. Uh-huh. So my strategy here is we must start engaging. This is the thing about we've created an industry that feeds the insurance industry instead of feeds our clients that we serve. And so if I can embrace more of my happy paying customers to like what I do and love what I do, they will become my biggest advocates. I mean, Seth Godin, I don't care who you follow. Every marketing book that's ever been written will echo this. So this is why I'm like, I don't get to take credit for this. I just get to go, why do we keep doing it wrong? Because everybody else knows how to do it, right? And so we have to embrace this person. I love telling people, how much money comes out of your paycheck every month? Not every week, every month, right? So you're paying that premium. Hmm, interesting. So you're paying this much money for your whole family. Now you're here. By the way, you know, you're giving us $75. You know how much your insurance company that you're paying, you know, $30,000 a year to is paying us? Nothing because you're covering the whole thing. So remind me. And by the way, this conversation should be had with everybody who walks in the door. Oh, by the way, when I work with out of network and hybrid clinics, I tell them to leverage this conversation of 
Why the fuck do you have to go in network? But that's for another day. But this whole idea, we've got to embrace and we've got to engage and we got to get these and literally raving fans to care. I say every time I see a post like this, I say the day the people we serve care even as half as much as we do, we've solved this problem. But until then, right, we pander to the Congress, we pander to the PAC, we pander to the insurance companies. I'm like, what about that person who comes in three days a week handing you 50 bucks? So we got to quit going to the well and we'll do another show on the uh, professional association some other day. Man, the world loves status quo. I don't like status quo. Let's say they want to get serious and they want to make big boy money in 2024. What has to happen? What should they like be ruthless about attacking in their practice in 2024? See, and honestly, right, Paul, the way you first asked this, you wouldn't have gotten the same answer. So I'm glad you, I like the way you presented that. I've had this exact conversation this week and it showed up on social media a couple of times. We must, we must, and, and I can go into the weeds on this if you guys want, but I think this will fit. We must take the blinders off and quit looking at that 1030 patient as a physical therapy patient. We must start to understand the journey that people are on in their life outside of the physical therapy space. And we must embrace right that journey and we must make sure they understand that we know their full journey and that we are the right solution today. But guess what? That we have all kinds of other solutions for you while you continue on this journey, even after you don't need the physical therapy. Let me give you one quick example, Paul, to the point that I have more than one client in 2023 that I fought tooth and nail with to take physical therapy out of their name to reach this goal, to achieve this goal. And I said, if you're going to be different, if you're going to start to get people to think differently, you got to quit allowing people to see your name and go, oh, I don't need them right now. So this whole idea, and this fits a lot of the different things you hear about going upstream, which I love to talk about a lot. If I understand your journey, then I can go to people just like you. Let's just use something. And, and I don't mean some fucking crazy thing. You're a runner, Paul. If you're a runner, Paul, and I have a clinic in Chicago, I know the running schedule. I know the running calendar. I know everything possibly that runners do in Chicago. Then when you call me, I understand what month it is. And then I learn a little more of where you are today, what you're interested in. And then I start to have that conversation on the front end. But probably my sales, uh, my website, my marketing, my website, my everything else is going to tell you I know your journey because I'm going to speak it. And then you're going to walk in the room. I have a great client, great client who's embracing all of this and starting to embed it into his practice and putting together a conversation based on these steps in the business where we started, where the front desk will start to say, we understand your journey, right? Crossfitters, when's the CrossFit open? What other events do they like to do? But then when you get in the room with the provider, your expert, they already know that. And so it's Thomas sitting across from me. Thomas hasn't brought up any of this stuff. And I say, well, Thomas... We're sitting here in May right now. I know you want to get that shoulder better to do more pull-ups. And I also know that in right in October and November, right, there's these three events. Now, are these something you're shooting for? Oh, absolutely. Right. So now I, as the the expert, has asked Thomas a question and I've told him, I understand your journey. And the journey's way bigger than what the fuck you're in the room for today. 
And we're not overselling. We're not upselling. I'm telling people, right, because then I have to provide the resources and the solutions for Thomas so that he, here's the kicker, and I'll stop here. He never leaves our ecosystem. There's something that I know will not be new to you, Paul, but that's what has to be done in 2024. So you have to understand your ecosystem and your business and not allow people to leave it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Strata Stories. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. If you'd like to learn more about Strata and see how our EMR and RCM works, head over to stratapt.com to book a demo.